Hello and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and psychology enthusiast. I'm also a huge fan of history. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, and anything weird, dark, and funky from the past. Each day, I'm going to share one of my favorite deep cuts with you, so let's take a look at today's stories. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365. On this day in 1971, the controversial psychological study known as the Stanford Prison Experiment began. Professor Philip Zimbardo designed the project to see how the effects of incarceration influence prisoners and guards. Do humans become brutal when given power, or is a predisposition for violence part of human nature? The Stanford Prison Experiment was funded by the U.S. Office of Naval Research, which wanted to know more about power imbalances in military prisons. Zimbardo and his team recruited students to participate in the study about prison life for $15 per day, which, adjusted for inflation, is about $100 per day in today's terms. The goal of his study was to find out if it's the prison experience or the personalities of guards that brought out violent behavior. So, he built a fake prison and selected 24 college students from a pool of 70 applicants to participate in the study. All the chosen participants were white men. The participants were randomly divided into two groups, guards and prisoners. The prisoners were fake arrested by real cops, who took them to the mock prison. Meanwhile, the guards were instructed that they weren't allowed to physically harm the other participants in the study. Anything else was fair game. Zimbardo told the guards, quote, We're going to take away their individuality in various ways. In general, what all this leads to is a sense of powerlessness. That is, in this situation, we'll have all the power, and they'll have none. That's when everything started going downhill. Like, really downhill. Originally, they planned that the experiment would run between 7 and 14 days. On the first day, things were going smoothly, until the guards decided to wake up the prisoners to do a headcount at 2.30am. When some prisoners disobeyed, they made them do push-ups. In retaliation, three prisoners in cell one blocked their cell door with beds and removed their prisoner numbers from their uniforms. The prisoners couldn't leave during the experiment, but the guards worked shifts. On the first night, some guards voluntarily chose to stay behind to quell the supposed rebellion. They sprayed them with fire extinguishers to get them to stop barricading the cells. Then, they created a cell for the more well-behaved prisoners and gave them better food, But then the prisoners in that cell didn't eat their food out of solidarity. So just 35 hours in, a prisoner had a nervous break, screaming and cursing until he was released for his own well-being. In 2017, that person confessed that he faked the breakdown because he just wanted to leave the study. As a rebuttal, Zimbardo says that all the prisoners had to do to leave was declare, I quit the experiment. But there are transcripts from conversations Zimbardo had with the prisoners telling them that they could only leave if they had a medical or psychiatric emergency. As if the ethics of this experiment weren't already dubious enough, it seems like the agency of these people was literally taken away as though they were prisoners of Zimbardo's, not the guards. Remember that part about when the guards weren't supposed to physically harm the prisoners? I think you know where this is going. For guards in both Zimbardo's experiment and in real prisons, there's not really any consequence to breaking the rules. Guards regulated where and when the prisoners could use the bathroom. At night, they could only use a bucket in their cell, and they punished the prisoners for refusing to remove the used buckets. 
Then they took away certain inmates' mattresses, forcing them to sleep on the concrete. Some prisoners were forced to be naked, and others were punished with excessive, mandated exercise. Things got pretty horrifying, pretty fast. Just six days into the experiment, Zimbardo cut it short. It's worth noting that he only did this after the grad student that he was dating told him that he was doing pretty messed up stuff. In the end, the experimenters found that one-third of the guards showed, quote, genuine sadistic tendencies. Now that is terrifying. In response to this study, U.S. prisons started housing juveniles accused of federal crimes in juvenile prisons while they await trial, rather than adult ones. This was to reduce the threat of violence against young convicts. But in the end, the Stanford prison experiment left more of an impact on the ethics of experimental psychology than it did on the way prisons are run. Since the experiment, the field of psychology has become more rigorous about ensuring that human subjects are treated fairly and understand their rights. The study has since been called a sham by some researchers. The sample size was too small to generalize the results, and they argue that Zimbardo had swayed the prisoners and guards toward what he wanted the outcome of the experiment to be. Some participants claimed to alter their behavior to help make the experiment more compelling. Despite the faulty research methods, maybe one thing we can take away from the experiment is that when people are arbitrarily given power, they need to be checked before the power turns to abuse. In some ways, Zimbardo's experiment reminds us of a tamer way that an educator once tried to teach her students about prejudice. The day after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, in 1968, an elementary school teacher named Jane Elliott divided her class based on their eye color, randomly decided that the brown-eyed students were better than the blue-eyed students. The goal of Elliott's experiment was to show how arbitrary our prejudices are. Why do we make different assumptions about people depending on their race, gender, sexuality, or ability? Elliot's exercise became famous and was the subject of a 1970 documentary called Eye of the Storm. Sure, it's a bit reductive. The roots of racism run far deeper than color and color alone. We need to learn about the impact of colonialism throughout history and how historical acts of violence, enslavement, and hate have influenced the racial prejudice that exists today. But for small children, maybe Elliot's exercise makes sense. You know what doesn't make sense? Putting research subjects in prison cells for six days. Now, let's talk about music. Today, in 2015, President Obama released his first presidential playlist on Spotify. Presidents, they're just like us. From that year onward, Obama published lists every so often of what music he's listening to, what books he's reading, TV and movies he's watching, and much more. This first playlist was divided into day and night. I mean, he's not wrong. You gotta have your summer party playlist and your lunchtime picnic playlist. On the day playlist, he included artists like Bob Dylan, Florence and Machine, Coldplay, the Isley Brothers, and Aretha Franklin. Meanwhile, on the night playlist, he was jamming to some Mary J. Blige, Joni Mitchell, Lauren Hill, Mose Def, and Frank Sinatra. No matter where you stand on Obama's politics, you can't deny that he's got some pretty good music taste. <laughs> Since leaving the White House in 2017, Barack and Michelle Obama started Higher Ground, a production company that produces film, TV, and podcasts. As Michelle Obama said, quote, I've always believed in the power of storytelling to inspire us. Given the former president's broad tastes in entertainment, this new project doesn't feel so random after all. And now for today's final segment, I'll be going into my own photo archives to see what I was up to on a August 14th in my life. On August 14th, 2018, I was playing Minecraft and I had a sheep named Young Man. I think I was just really obsessed with, Young man, you're a man that is young, I said, young man. It was like a 
meme version of that song, but that's what I was up to. Nothing super exciting. On probably other August 14th, I was also playing Minecraft as well, despite the year. Who knows? Annual, annual practice of playing Minecraft on August 14th. Thanks so much for going back in time with me and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Come back tomorrow for more stories from the past. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365.